with me today, which I hope you are. If not, have somebody slap you next to you. You can join me. And uh, we're going to be looking at a little bit of the Christmas story today, okay? Let's do that. You may be wondering today what this ladder's for, and I'll explain it to you in a moment. Um, I have been, in preparation for Christmas and the holidays, I've been thinking a lot about the story of the birth of Jesus, which of course is what we celebrate. And there's one particular term that's used that we're going to read here in a moment over and over and over again that I think is a is something, there's more to it than what we have just simply thrown out there over the years. So let's go ahead and go to the first slide if we can. Go ahead. In Matthew one twenty two, it says this, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The title of this message today is God with us. I've been exploring that in the different times in the Bible where the idea of God being with mankind is used. I don't, I'm not going to get into all of it today. Some of it's just research to get my mind going in the right direction. But I want to explore the idea of God being with us and why that is so different. You see, uh, Jesus talks about a kingdom that is upside down. Jesus talks about a kingdom that is the exact opposite of any other religion that people had encountered. You see, Christianity is not a religion. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Christianity is not a religion because there's something about Christianity that differs greatly from every other world religion. It's not just Jesus. It's not just, you know, dying on the cross. It's not just that. There's something about our God that is different from any other God from any religion anywhere in the world. Now, it doesn't mean that we treat anyone else different that thinks differently than us. We love them, we accept them, we open our arms up. But I want to tell you why our God is not only the true God, but why his kingdom on earth looked different and was upside down compared to the pagan traditions of the day, and even today, the world religions that you find. If you look at every major world religion, there's this one idea. If you can go forward for me. It's this idea right here. It's religion is based on the idea that you perform certain actions or rituals in order to attain another level of nearness or acceptance to God. Let me illustrate that to you. There is this idea in every major world religion that in order to be accepted in order to be near, in order to get the favor or the blessing from that God, I must climb the ladder of faith. My mom's going to get nervous, but that's all right. Totally, totally. See how these are bent? It's totally stable. I must climb the ladder of my religious practice and faith. So I start off maybe with this ritual, doing it twice a week. But then I'm able to free up an extra couple days of my time, and so I do it four times a week, and I go maybe and, and see the, the, the priest or the this or the that or whatever religious leader uh, and, and talk to him and confess everything I've done, and, and there's this idea that through religious practices, through sacrifices, through what we wear, through who we hang out with, through all of these things, that we somehow climb up the ladder of religion one rung at a time. 
getting closer and closer to God, who is up there in the distance looking down on us humbly, saying, oh, my children, come and you'll eventually maybe get close to me. Maybe eventually you'll see me closer and I'll approve of you. And maybe the anger that you think that I have towards you will eventually subside and I won't be so angry. You see, in every religion around the world, there is this paradox, this idea of fear that is built into it. And I spent, like I said, a week with, with uh, Danny and Sherry Silk and Danny's entire life work of all that he's written, Culture of Honor and, and Keep Your Love On and all of his loving on purpose and parenting on purpose, all that stuff. It's one run central idea, and it's this. It's the war between fear and love. It's the war between fear and love. You see, fear and love cannot coexist in the same place. You cannot both be afraid of me and also love me. And so we've built into every major religion around the world this idea that at the end of the day, I better not get out of line. I better do what I'm told or that God will be angry with me. And his anger is something I don't want to experience. I'm going to show you how this happens over and over again in the word of God. And so we think that if we just step up a little bit more, we get a little bit closer to God. See, the difference is this. In Christianity, I said this a couple weeks ago with the voice of Reinhard Bonnke. He said, in every major world religion that I've studied, he said, the people, they spread the table for their gods. But the Christian God spreads the table for his people. You see, what's so profound about the birth of Jesus is that God, every pagan tradition of the day was this idea that I'm explaining now. Jesus when he came to earth, his father in heaven flipped their pagan rituals and traditions and even some of the traditions of the Jews on its head because it was no longer about you reaching me. When he sent his son to earth, the reason he called him Emmanuel was because God came to earth. He descended the ladder to us and he came down to meet us where we were at. Maybe you're at this level right here. You're working your way up. You're not where you think you should be. God comes down and meets you there. Maybe you're here. Maybe you don't even know what the first book of the Bible is yet because your journey of faith has just begun. God meets you here. Maybe you hate the very idea of there being a God because of your own hurt and what's been done to you what's been explained to you, and you're all the way at the base level of your journey of faith. The reality is, is that his son came through the most humble of circumstances to the lowliest place to be born among animals so that he could take the form of the humblest, the lowest spot so that no matter where you are in your journey of life or faith, he meets you there. What's different about Jehovah God that no other God in the world can claim is that he spreads the banquet table for his people and he comes and descended down to earth to meet them where they were at. 
Emmanuel, God with us, began to change the entire landscape of religious history with this idea that God would humble himself in the form of a man and be born amongst the hay and the animals so that he could really be God with us. What that means for you and I today is very simple. It's very simple and yet very hard for us to receive, to believe, to walk in. It's this idea today that no matter what is going on in your life, he's Emmanuel, God with you. No matter how disappointed you are in yourself, he's still God with us. No matter how much you discount the dreams, the promises of heaven over your life, what you think you were supposed to do tomorrow, and it doesn't seem like it's even possible today, he's still God with us. Here's what's crazy. Even when you're not with him, he's still God with us. The scripture says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. You see, he didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to cleanse those that were already clean. He came for the sinner. He came to bring life to the hopeless and the lifeless. If you go to this next scripture together, yeah, I already said that's all right. Luke 2, 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, do you understand what an inn is in this case? An inn is not great to start with. An inn could have been just like a brothel. An inn could have been, I mean, an inn was just a roadside shack with some rooms. And that was yet still not low enough, not humble enough for him to be born into That's how interested he was in communicating this idea to you and I. In the same region where there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Next one. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Why? Has anyone asked the question, why we keep seeing this pattern over and over and over again, where God or the existence of God shows up and the people are frightened? Because this was their paradigm. You didn't receive contact from a God unless you were in trouble or something bad was getting ready to happen. The pagan traditions that had been adopted by by the Jewish faith, by, by Islam, by all of these different things, the pagan traditions were if God came to hang out with you, it was not good news. So with the... Uh, Tada moment of God, or in, when Jesus walked the earth, came multiple instances. I'm going to go over another one where you'll see where the first thing out of, out of the angel's mouth or out of God's mouth or out of Jesus' mouth when he came to earth was don't be afraid, do not fear. Because they knew, he knew inherently their only context for why a God would show up was because that he was getting ready to show how angry he was. Do you see this? Or he was going to require more from them because they hadn't given enough. So it was never a good thing. 
So he had to warn them. He said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. You know, some people say, well, it was a bright light. That's why they got scared. Um, I'm sorry, but tonight, if a bright light comes outside, I'm going to run outside and see what it is. I'm not going to be in my house calling 911 saying there's a bright light outside. Right? I mean, they were human too. I don't buy that they were frightened because there was a bright light. Usually bright light means good things unless you're dying. Right? They were afraid because anything outside, anything supernatural was always a bad thing. And so he said, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good news. Jesus came to be good news, right? Of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word Savior we throw around a lot, but do you understand the target audience of a Savior? Do you know who the target audience of a Savior is? The unclean, the unsaved, the messed up, the lost. Come on. And I don't want to burst anyone's bubble in here. You. You know the difference between somebody who has a lot of sin in their life and somebody who doesn't? The one who doesn't is better at covering it up. Have you actually read the Ten Commandments? The, the best of you in here breaks at least a couple of the Ten Commandments every day. Remember, because everything that we've wrapped up in religion is about what we do on the outside because we have our paradigm of who God is completely wrong. And it's actually, it's actually the opposite. It's what goes on the inside. Are you with me? So it says, do not commit adultery. What man in here doesn't at least notice another woman in a day's time. All the women in the room are like, you better not. I hate to break the news to you. It happens. It doesn't mean he's done something terrible in his head, but it happens. We're made and created to function a certain way. Well, according to the word of God, you notice another woman, you committed adultery. You broke one of, listen, they only gave you 10. We're not even getting into the rest and you can't even keep those every day. Don't covet your neighbor. Can we be real with each other? We break the Ten Commandments every day. You may not be smoking crack and, and hanging out at the, you know, with some escort somewhere, but you break the Ten Commandments every day, or at least every week. The good news is, it's you are who he came to save. I am who he came to save. He came to save that which was lost. That's the good news. God with us means that he came to be with us and to save us from whatever we are in life. And it was good news. You know, he could have easily just put in there, there, there has been born for you. Today in the city of David, there's been born for you a judge. Today there's been born for you in the city of David a lawgiver. Today, there's been born for you in the city of David a priest because the Bible says he's a high priest. Why did they refer to him as Savior? Because God knew that humanity needed someone to save them. Do you know that you don't just need to need the Savior side of Jesus? 
when you get saved, when you receive salvation, I need the Savior every day. I don't get a switch turned on in my head and I just go, oh, I'm perfect. I'm perfect, Dan, now. It's not like, like they programmed me and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, now everything I used to do, I don't do anymore because I love Jesus. Do, do, do. Right? No, that's not what happens. What happens is I just learn to hide it. Because I think that what goes on the outside is what God responds to. And I think that as long as people don't think I have anything going on in my life, that I'll be received and accepted by God because my paradigm's wrong. I think it works this way. Do you know what I've noticed, though? I've noticed that when people get all the way up here and my mom gets really nervous. <laughs> mom, I did this in the first service. It worked great. We're going to see if this thing holds 200 pounds, okay? I noticed, Mom, I know Nick Walenda. It's okay, all right? When you get up here, I've noticed that folks up here don't realize that you'll very rarely find God here. He hung out with the tax collectors, the publicans, the sinners, the carpenters, the rough bunch. He wanted all of humanity to know that we desperately needed a Savior to come. And he wanted all of humanity to know there's not a low, there's not a spot too low, a place too dark that he won't go. From his very birth, he said, I'm coming, God with us in the form of a baby born in the most humble of circumstances. So that in a time and place in your life, when you begin to think, I have gone too low to be reached by the Savior. He says, let me remind you, I came to earth, to the lowest spot. I didn't require you to do anything but just receive me. And I came to meet you in the lowest place, in the darkest place. Meet you right where you're at. That's Emmanuel, God with us. She's all right. You need some water, honey? Okay. You can cough. Let her out. You're, you're, let her rip. Yeah, let her rip. Get it out. There you go. You feel better now, right? This holding it in stuff. Go to the next scripture for me. I'm going to end with this. And Simon Peter saw that. He fell down on Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. This is right after uh, Peter is fishing or is out on his boat and Jesus says, cast your nets out. And he does and, and they fill the nets and the boat's sinking because they have so much fish and the nets are breaking. And also, and then Peter realizes, oh, this is not just a dude. This is God. Remember these moments where people experience God, just like the shepherds. Also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, what? You see the war between fear and love. It's there all throughout the Bible. Why did he say do not fear? Because he knew when Peter figured out this ain't just a dude. 
This is God in man form. This is the Son of God. He knew that inside of Peter, because of tradition, because of rituals, because of this kingdom of of religion that had been set up where there was one guy at the top and everybody climbing on each other's back to get up there that immediately would be full of fear. Why? Because Peter says this to me. He says, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. See, go, go back to the one before that. Sorry. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the Son of God, the only thing Peter could think about was his deficiencies. Because that's what every other God was interested in is what you can do for me. Go to, the, go to the last part. And God said, Jesus said to him, do not fear. Now on, your entire life is going to be changed because of this encounter. Because from his very birth, he came to meet the, the, the foul-mouthed, sinful, nasty old fisherman. Anyone ever hung out with some fishermen before? Come on, everyone ever gone to the docks of Cortez and talked to some of them old salty guys? They know about six words, and none of them are ones you want to repeat. (laughs) Peter was a a salty, probably foul-mouthed, you know, sinful fisherman that God had to remind him, my kingdom is different. I've come to you to meet you where you're at, on your boat, working. I've come to you just like I did when I was born. I'm still Emmanuel, God, with us. I'm still the God who meets you where you're at. I was thinking about this, and based on the number of young ears that are in the room, I'm going to be very general about what I say. But this is a revelation I got last night that I have never heard anyone say. This is my only thing I've never heard anyone say before. My claim to fame. I'm just kidding. I got this last night, and I'm going to be very sensitive about the way I say it, because you're going to have to put two and two together, because I'm going to be vague. Is that all right? I was asking this question, why did Mary have to be a virgin? I asked this question, and I researched it, and I saw Billy Graham's answer, and it wasn't, it made no sense. And no offense to Billy Graham, but it just was generalized, you know, I was like, well, well. And I read this one and that one, and I just went through all these different answers of why. My Google search was, why did Mary have to be a virgin? And then I stopped, and I was preparing. And the Lord said to me, why don't you ask me? I was like, well, is your name Google? (laughs) So I asked the Lord. Now, I'm not, all I can tell you is what I heard and what I got. You can judge it for yourself. But this is what the Lord showed me biologically, something happens when a woman is no longer a virgin. Are you with me? From the very inception, or conception, sorry, the very conception of Jesus' life, he began to declare the atonement for the shedding of blood was coming to an end. Why did she have to be a virgin? Come on, connect that. Connect that for me. I can't get more descriptive than that. Are you with me? Leviticus 17.11 says that the blood always represents the flesh of man. 
The blood always represents, whether it was the blood of a child offered to the pagan gods, the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of mankind always... See, the, our bodies and blood are the natural sin nature version of who we are. The blood represents this, the atonement for the sin nature of mankind. And the, without the Spirit of God breathing inside of us, we're just a house. That's why the Bible says that we return to dust. Because what we have is just dust without the Spirit of God. If you've ever watched somebody pass away, you can actually, like, they take that last breath. You can almost see or feel the Spirit leave them. And they're gone. I've done so many funerals. I just walk up and I'm like, I wish I could get sad. But that person ain't there no more. Because the Spirit is gone. Are you with me? The blood always was shed for atonement. And from the very conception of the birth of Jesus, God used a virgin. Are you with me? Because the message was the atonement with the shedding of blood, the sacrificial pagan ritual that you have, even in the biological conception with the woman, is coming to an end with my life. You can take that for what it's worth. I never say anything up here absolutely unless it's in black and white. You can take that for what it's worth. I've asked a lot of people, why did she have to be a virgin? Nobody can give me an answer. Because people say, well, she, you know, it's both God and, 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 and man. So, you know, there was the spirit of God was, you know, God was the husband that Mary conceived from, and it was, no, that's not what the, it, he was both fully man and fully God. And if the spirit of God is breathed into you and I, when we're born of a man and a woman, he could have still been fully man and fully God. Why was it biologically she had to be a virgin? Because the message was clear. This is going to look different from any other God you've served. Do you hear me? Now, what does this mean for you and I? I'm going to leave you with this. I'm not going to climb the ladder anymore. Mom says I don't have the right shoes. That's true. My socks are great. They're Christmas socks. But, oh, well, you just have to imagine. What does it mean for you and I as we leave here today? When we celebrate in the next week or two, I want you to really get a revelation of what it means, Emmanuel, God with us. Because it didn't just mean that God was coming to earth. It didn't just mean that God was going to come in man form in the form of a baby and he would grow up one day and die. That was important. It's the, it's the very crux and the, the center of our, of our faith. But it means even more than that. It means this. It means that everything that you've ever experienced when it came to religion, tradition, rituals, the idea that I must claw my way up my religious experience in order to be near or close or accepted by God. All of that, which was the pagan traditions of the day, was even part of the Jewish faith of the day, was getting ready to be turned upside down. Because God was not a king that would come riding in on a chariot. He came to be God with us. Not God waiting for us. Not us with him. But God with us. And in that picture, 
when we visualize him in that lowly manger and the most humble of circumstances, a barn, a stall, whatever it was. It should change the way we see our relationship with God. It should free you up to pursue his heart, to pursue an understanding of who he is, and stop allowing the steps that have been put in front of you between you and where you think you're supposed to be to stop you. Sometimes I'm here and I think I should be here and I let these six steps stop my growth, stop my pursuit, stop my hunger because I look at the Bible and I go, I'm never going to get up there. And it's been reinforced sometimes with bad theology when all along God's saying, I'll meet you where you're at and we'll journey faith together. Some of you let go of the hand of God because you think you're too low for him to reach you where you're at. You're never too low. Will you just reach up and hold his hand? Will you allow him to walk the journey of faith with you, the journey of life? Will you stop thinking, this is not Buddha, this is not the sun god, this is not whatever Egyptian pagan tradition, this is not anything else. This is not based on anything else but what he's done for you. Will you take his hand where you're at and begin the journey of faith up to where he's called you to be? I've seen that picture. I've heard that picture preached. That's all right. That's the Lord calling you. Just receive it. It's a message from heaven. Whoa. I've seen this picture too. Well, God's there, but he's calling us to a higher place. Yeah, but that's fine but really he's God with us and he'll meet you where you're at and he'll go on that journey of faith and life with you every step of the way if you'll let him, if you'll believe that he really wants to be there for you, if you'll believe that you're not too low, you're not too far gone, you're not the disappointment that you've been told. Some of us don't feel like disappointments Some of us don't feel like giant failures. We just feel like, Lord, you've promised so much and it hasn't happened. Something must be wrong with me. That's not how God works. He will meet you where you're at. Take his hand. Listen to what he's promised you and take a step with him. And quit worrying about this dumb ladder. Do you remember Jacob's ladder? Who was descending that ladder? He always wants to come and meet you. If you want to win the war spiritually between fear and love, you start there. God wants to meet me where I'm at. God loves me right here. And then as you unfold and unpack that revelation, you grab his hand and you take a step with him forward. Because it's not about the ladder. It's about getting with him. It's not about how high you've gone. It's about reaching what he's called you to. This is nothing. This is not important. What's important is the revelation of who you are and who he is and what he's created you to be. Will you get that this morning with me? When I got this picture last night, I was like, well, I'm going to find a ladder. But I think you get it. And I had a chart. I had a chart that's not showing up in this stupid presentation 
because I synced it. In the chart, I'm going to explain it to you. It was me and my five siblings, and it was a graph chart, and it was our journey over the last 30 years. I'm going to give you just a quick guess at who was leading. <laughs> I made the chart. Keep that in mind. My brother Jim was last, okay? I just made him last because he's my older brother, and I always wanted to be in front of him. And the, the rest of the three of you were still below me, but chugging along. All the way to 2017, I actually charted our journeys of faith. I didn't. <laughs> to show you how ridiculous it is, but how we think in our, in our hearts. I just wish I was so spiritual like him. Listen, you don't know me, all right? I'm a mess. I just love Jesus, and I've, I've been called every week to try to figure out what he's saying to us as a, as a community, all right? Uh, you may think, well, David Wagner is so awesome. He's so prophetic. Oh, I've been there at one of those services. He hears God's voice. God's speaking to you too. I promise you anything you've built anyone else up to be, God can do with your life. Let's pray. Just stay where you are so that folks at home can pray along with us. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, that you're still pouring out your spirit. But God, the revelation of Emmanuel, God with us, you meet us right where we're at. You, you, you descend, you came down to the lowliest, most humble place so that we would know no matter where we were, no matter where we'd gone, no matter the darkness we found ourselves in, you would be there to meet us. God, I'm so excited about what this week's going to look like. I just have such, just to feel like a picture and a promise from you and what it's going to look like to celebrate this holiday season, this Christmas season with one another. But God, I don't want us to forget. Lord, there's a lot of people during this Christmas season that, that don't feel like they're close, don't feel like they're loved, don't feel like they'll ever be approved of, don't feel like they'll ever be in that place with you that they wish they would be. So God, let us be the love and light that just re-communicates re this message today. That more than anything else, the prophet said, his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that really Christmas is about the idea that he came so that he could be with us and meet us right where we're at. So that he could change our mindset. That we would realize that this God is different. He brings good tidings. He brings great joy. He's with us. Just let that just sear our hearts and imprint our minds in a new and fresh way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you a Wednesday, Thursday for House Underground, and Sunday for Christmas Eve. Two morning services and candlelight at 6 p.m. God bless.